Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. It's possible to go from comic book nerd to fitness superhero, and Julian Hayes is proof of that. Julian turned himself into a writer, a speaker, and a coach by applying daily discipline to his routines while tracking his progress to figure out what worked best for his clients and for himself. In this episode of Hack the Process, Julian will explain how he coaches fitness clients entirely online using tracking apps, why he avoids writing about specific diet and exercise prescriptions, and what one mundane but essential health recommendation he always comes back to. Today I'm talking with Julian Hayes. He is an, a fitness coach and a writer and a speaker. You're doing a lot of things. Julian, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, David. Thanks for the invite. I'm ecstatic to be here. Cool. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. And one of the things that, you know, as I was doing your intro, you're doing a lot of different things. How do you introduce yourself these days? It usually depends the audience that I'm talking to. So if it's going to be someone HR or on the corporate level, I will just usually state that I'm an author, a health and fitness consultant, and a nutrition and sleep science coach. And I guess it's if it's someone down the street, so I don't blur out all of that those words, I usually just say, I help busy individuals and companies transform their mind, body, and culture. So you talk to HR folks. That means that you, you do some corporate consulting in addition to individual coaching, right? Yes, I'm getting into that a little more now, yeah. Mm -hmm. How does that work out? What's involved in doing the type of work you're doing? You're doing fitness coaching, but you're doing it for companies? So for me, over the years, I realized my best asset is also just being able to educate and inspire. And so on a group level, it will be something through workshops and trainings where you can go in and educate on sleep science and the benefits of sleep that it has and how it affects your business, your relationships, and every single thing else in your life. And sometimes people might want coaching from that as well. But that's usually how it starts off. That's interesting. And how did you start off getting into this in the first place? So my origin story starts with superheroes. So I'm a big comic book person. And in college, one thing I realized, if you look at comic book covers, they all look like they work out and they also are usually fairly intelligent. And so for me, that made reading books and science cool. And it also inspired me to start working out. I also wanted to get confidence as well. And so I merged those two things together. I started to fall in love with science more. That led me to New York to take a year of medical school. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. And so New York is quite different from Nashville. <laughs> so I met a lot of interesting people while in New York. Some of those people were doing some creative things. And more importantly, they, they were doing multiple things, which really planted the bug in my head that you didn't just have to have one identity, that you can do a bunch of things, but maybe in the middle of that things that you're doing, they all relate to that central thing. And so I started to question myself that maybe going down the path of becoming a doctor is not the thing for me. I like that, but I also secretly like writing, which I told no one about. And so during the summer of that, after the first year, I decided not to go back. 
and just say, I'm going to start writing and sharing health and fitness information that way. I got a lot of crazy looks because if you're in your mid-20s and no one ever knew that I liked to write or was interested in the writing, that's where the journey started. And ever since, I've just been progressively trying to put more information out there, get better at my craft, and more importantly, to help people just to change and be inspired and provide some guidance to change. A lot of times the advice, it's masqueraded in nutrition and exercise, but at the core of it, it's really just inspiration for you to change and go after something that you really want. Now, that was one of the things that I noticed about your writing, because all the titles, they tend to look like you're, you're pretty typical, you know, workout, motivation, fitness kinds of things. But when you get into the into the articles themselves, they focus more on, on lifestyle change in general. Yeah, well, for me, I usually like to write things that are on my mind or and I also like to write about the problems in the world. And to me, focusing on the diet is not really the issue. It's more the mindset and the behavior toward food that is the first priority. A lot of times looking at different diets is kind of like looking at different tools in a shed. And if you don't have the foundation built, then there's no point of having those tools because you don't even have a shed. And so a lot of times it's just backwards. It's easier to promote a quick fix diet or cleanse than it is to really address our behaviors and look a little more internal to see what the prying issue is. Yeah, I don't think that people want to look internally unless, they're in, unless they have a really strong motivation. Well, it's it's tough, but it's necessary. If you look at a lot of the people that we admire, they had to do that internal work, whether it's getting professional help to do it or whether it's failing really hard and having that serve as their catalyst to greatness. But you're going to have to eventually face up to it. And it's better to do it now than to do it later. It's almost like leaving credit card bills and that kind of stuff just turning a blind eye on it. And then five years later, the interest keeps compounding and compounding and compounding. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But it's, sometimes it's hard to get people to even pay attention to these messages. What are you doing to try to get your message out there to people who might not otherwise be wanting to pay attention? So I usually try to see the world through their lens and go where they're going to be at. So a, a lot of times it's no one wants to do a diet. And I don't even like to phrase it that way. But everyone wants to have more energy. Everyone would love to sleep more. Everyone would love to have better relationships or to make more money or to maybe move up the ladder in a company or to start their own business. So it's using those things to initially get their interest and then explaining why health and fitness can be their catalyst to getting those things that they want in life. And that's interesting. And, and that's the message that you've gotten behind. I'm curious what it was about health and fitness in particular for you that made it the focus for the work you're doing? For me, it gave me confidence. It helped me have an identity. Oftentimes, working out is tough. Staying consistent is tough. It's something that doesn't happen instantly, but when you accomplish any type of health and fitness goal, you feel really proud of yourself. And it just, it's almost like it hardens you and it gives you that spark that these other things in life can be accomplished as well. So for me, it just served as, I like to think of it as going back to superheroes again, the little reactor in Iron Man that helps him. I like to think of it, that's kind of what fitness is for me. It's my force. It helps me in all other facets of my life, just from confidence and the discipline needed in fitness is the same discipline needed to consistently write every day or consistently take baby steps in starting your business or leaving your job at that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it, it is all the same self-discipline. I've heard them say that it's basically the same part of your brain that's disciplining yourself for every decision that you're trying to make like that. 
Mm -hmm. The hard part is just rewiring your brain to start seeing the world in this new identity that you want to be in. So how did you get started down that path? It, it wasn't something that you started as a child? No, 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 no. Funny enough, I ate pretty terribly all the way to, until college. We are Americans. I think that that's typical. Yes. And luckily, I played basketball. That kept my weight in a manageable range. But I was fairly lanky and just super skinny when I was in college. That's that's where that whole thing started. And I really saw what it was doing to my body. And I liked it. I almost got addicted. It's It's pretty much like an addiction. I got fairly addicted to it in a positive manner just because it was adding so much value to my life. And I liked the reception I was getting from people. So you started noticing physical changes and that was one of the motivations for you? Yes. The physical came way before the mental and emotional. So I would say now over a decade into it, I pretty much work out now for the mental and emotional benefits more so than the physical. Can you make it clear for us what the distinction is for some of us who haven't had the experience of, of getting to that point? Mm -hmm. So the physical is, so I started college at 165 pounds. And present day now, I weigh, I hover between 190 and 200 pounds at a decent body fat percentage. So when I walk around, I have broad shoulders and have chest and muscles and all that. So it, it's very distinguishable. However, the things that you don't see are the quiet confidence that I have. So when I first started off in writing and I was really trying to learn the craft, I thought of it just like working out where I, I take it one workout at a time. I take it one day of eating healthy at a time. And that's the same way I, I went to my writing. And it gave me that discipline. It helped me realize that routines are paramount to succeeding in these other areas of life. When I went to speak and have conversations with people, I had that confidence in myself as well because I know that I've accomplished something really hard that oftentimes trips up a lot of other people. And then from a um, psychological standpoint, I did a few months of therapy and I also realized that working out really helps with that, with my mood, because I, I did some daily journaling as well. And so those are just things that are hard to see from a surface level. That's interesting. Was, was this what you were expecting when you got started working out? Absolutely not. I really only thought about working out from a standpoint of just looking hot and, and just wearing cutoff shirts. It was very superficial. And there's nothing wrong with being superficial a little bit. We all want to look great, but I think that's just a maturity thing that comes along with it. Yeah, no, I can understand that. And you know, I think whatever gets you motivated to get started, where you end up isn't necessarily where you thought you were going. Exactly. Because when I first started writing, it was still from a more surface level standpoint of where I just wanted to write stuff to help people get abs and all those things. And now it's, at least I hope so, it's a little deeper now than, than when I started in terms of like addressing the various components of fitness. How did you get started with writing? I mean, right now you're writing for a lot of different publications, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So I do the majority of my writing outside of my blog now, I do it at Inc., where the, I have a weekly column and then places like Entrepreneur and Success and various other places. But I, I got started just on my first website, which I don't think it's even on the internet anymore. So I, I did a rebrand a few years ago just to go coincide with the evolution that I was doing personally. But I, I started just humbly on a blog, writing, committing to writing a new article each week. I asked my best friend for help at the beginning, just from a grammar and just writing sentences. I was, it was terrible. I saw my first blog post. 
I remember when I looked back at my first blog post and I was like, wow, it was really bad. But that's a necessary step that you just can't avoid. I forgot who I heard this from. If you aren't embarrassed by your first launch or first product, then you waited too long. I might have butchered that a little bit, but it's something similar. No, I've heard that too, and it's it's absolutely true. But that fear of being embarrassed by that first product is something that stops so many people. Yeah, and the thing is, you don't have to. You don't even have. To, don't make it public at first. Then it's just more important to get in the act of doing what you want to become down the road. That's more important. You don't want to take a huge step anyway. You want to take the smallest step that you can take and then just let that compound each and every day. And I think that that applies to fitness as well. Yeah, yeah. And so in fitness, it's if someone's not working out consistently, the worst thing to tell them is to, I want you to do this strict five-day regimen or you're in the gym 60 minutes a day. That's the worst thing to do. They might can do it for two weeks, but then something in life comes up and it just throws their whole routine off because it wasn't sustainable yet. So counterly, you should just, for someone at that level, it's just good to do 10 to 15 minutes of activity. And you can do that at your house or it's just going for a walk. We have so much technology now. If you have a Fitbit or any kind of wearable like that, or even turn on on your phone, there's an Apple Health and you can turn that on and it can keep track of your steps and you can just make a daily step goal and just start from there. So it's tempting because there's so much information out there and you see people doing so many things that you want to just do that as well from day one. And it's good just to bring it back and start super tiny. <laughs> the Fitbit thing is a, is a great bit of advice on that in particular because it helps measure what you're doing. And I've, I've noticed the one thing that keeps people motivated tends to be that if they're not measuring it, then they don't see any progress. Mm -hmm. So turning it into a game or gamification is a big one, a huge one. I did that with my writing, actually. I had this little spreadsheet. I got this from Jerry Seinfeld. It was called Don't Break the Chain. So I think when he was first starting out as a comedian, his goal was to tell one joke a day. And each day he did that joke, no matter if it was bad or good, then he gets an X for that day. And so he just kept that X on his calendar and building that chain out. And so I did that with writing 500 words a day, no matter the quality. And then someone else can do that with walking for 30 minutes every day or getting 5,000 steps in every day, depending on their starting point of how many steps they normally get. Yeah. And, and what you measure is what you improve on. It sounds like you also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. When did you start doing that? I did that at the very beginning. So I started off at the gym, just personal training as well. And it was great, but I knew it was limiting in terms of what I wanted to do in terms of being able to travel, being able to write more, or in various other opportunities. So if I, I've gradually shifted over to a online-based coaching where I'm using things like technology as well. So someone has a Fitbit, you can monitor their sleep, their hydration, their nutrition. And then on my end, I can see those, da those daily things add up. And then over time on my platform, I can see if they're doing that. And then it's, it's an easy way to show them the 30-day progress of them doing the process that they're supposed to be doing. And then there's apps for having the exercises that they should do. So it's like training still, but now you're not limited by, oh, you have to show up at six o'clock because oftentimes the people that I've worked with are busy. They have unconventional schedules or they travel a lot and we have Skype now and Zoom and all these different platforms to stay in touch. So it's basically personal training now, except online in a kind of a concierge form. 
That's fascinating. I'm curious, are there particular apps that you use or do you even have your own app about this? No. So there's a workout app that me and some friends are using in terms they have high definition videos and it's pinpointing different areas. So like someone's doing a squat, it's going to point out four to five of the most important things to look for when you're doing the squat to make sure you're doing it correctly. And then the other one, in terms of linking up, it's an app called Nudge. It syncs up with various different wearables, and then it just comes to that centralized location for me to look at. That's interesting. So basically, your clients can't get away from you. Yeah, I, tr I try to do it that way. So I'm. it's better that way. At the beginning, we do establish how much interaction do you want. I can send a simple message in during a day each day that's fun or some people are more hands-off so it's really personality dependent but i guess it's a way to show that you're in it with them and that you want this change for them as well so this is probably the first time that i've heard about being a, like a physical coach but doing the entire thing remotely i'm curious how much personal interaction there is in this so i like to do a weekly call like we can see each other right now so I like to do this at least once a week. That's just to stay in touch, see how things are going. And there's usually an agenda or some kind of curriculum that we're going to go over each week. Another way for accountability is to just the random check-ins that I, that I mentioned earlier. So as their stuff is logging in and being transferred over, it's a way for me to see if things are running smoothly. And then if they have like a pressing question or something, then they can just shoot me a message and I can see it. So it's not training so many people that it just overwhelms you. So that, that's why it's, you can give that full service even being separated. So then I guess because of the way you're doing it, you can support a lot more clients that way. You can, but I, I don't necessarily like to just because I have a focus of a priority to write still and to also to speak and consult as well. And so I, I like to have those three things together. So the writing that you're doing, I'm sure that a lot of that comes out of the work that you're doing with your clients as well. Is that something that you found has been, you know, the one has been feeding into the other? That helps, but then also just going out in the world and just listening to people talk and also just things I'm struggling with. And so that's kind of the secret that it's easy to be prolific when you just write things that you're kind of struggling with, because I'm sure there are other people that are struggling with that, those same kind of things. Because for me now, staying in shape and being committed to nutrition is different at 22 when I had very little responsibilities than it is right now when I'm 31 and I'm growing a business and have these other responsibilities as well. So there's different levels. And so I know there's other people out there too who are in the early stages of their business and they're trying to figure out a way to stay healthy while being overwhelmed with so many things. Now, did you yourself seek out any coaching when you were getting started? Yes. So I did. I had a little help with the writing and learning how to pitch publications and just write for the general public. So I came from a science background. And so oftentimes you start writing very academically. And the only people that are going to read it is other people in academic. And I'm trying to help the general public. So I need to sound like them. <laughs> how did you learn that? So reading, reading a lot of articles, getting feedback from mentors and friends, and also just, just sheer practice. And what kind of feedback do you get from the writing that you do? I mean, I'm assuming that the audience that reads, they give you comments, they give you feedback. Does that help as well? Yeah, that helps a lot. More so for motivation, because in the early days, you might not have the big audience. Because I'm, I'm sure we've seen those people who, whatever they post on any platform, they get all this feedback. And so just getting an email from someone is like, this says thank you, or I enjoyed this, or 
seeing a little comment on your article means the world. It still means the world. It, it usually goes in my gratitude journal for the thing I'm most grateful for because you know that you're helping someone. And then when you see that little switch that you're helping someone, it just makes you even more committed to the mission that you're on. It just can be hard to stay motivated before that audience builds up. Yes, I'm sure like the first podcast you did, besides being nervous, you probably had those kind of things as well as like, who's going to listen to this? <laughs> well, it's like the, the first one that goes out. It's never as good as the later ones. And it's kind of a blessing <laughs> that there aren't as many people listening. Exactly. That's why that's one of the big things to reframe. Like you don't really want to be super famous too early because you might not be ready for what comes with being super famous. That's true. And well, it's kind of like fitness. Like You've got a different set of problems that you're dealing with right now, maintaining your fitness versus somebody who might be just getting started with fitness. Exactly. And so it's always a different evolution, which is why having a solid foundation and understanding of the fundamentals helps ease into those different seasons of your life that you will inevitably go on. And finding somebody whom you can model, I think, is an important part of that as well. Yes, exactly. Did you have any role models that you were following when you started? For working out, it was superheroes. It was comic books. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was comic books when it came to working out. With writing, I actually looked into musicians a lot. So people like Miles Davis, Marvin Gaye, and Lenny Kravitz are big to me because they're very prolific. And that stuck out to me to like, I forgot where I heard this from, but the quickest way to get better at something is just to do it more. And that accelerates the progress. That stuck in the back of my head during that time is to almost pretend that I was a musician instead because it's fairly similar. And I deep down, I wanted to be a musician, but... I'm not the singer. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those guys are huge influences to me. I, I look up to athletes and I look up to singers a lot for my inspiration and then sometimes role play and, and trick myself into thinking about each article I write as a single and then the book I wrote as an album. <laughs> so tell me about the book that you wrote. So the book is called Body Architect and it's divided into four sections. So there's mindset, nutrition, lifestyle, and training. To me, it's the origin story, it's a fitness origin story. So it's how do I go from level zero to getting started? So how do I get myself off the couch to get started? And because that was my very first book and any great superhero saga starts with the origin story. That's what this book is for. There's no tricky calorie counting in the book. It's just the basic principles, and it's around 10 principles for each of those four sections. And then there's some bonus tips, just like in the Marvel movies has the scenes after the credits. So that was my way of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the book in a nutshell. It's just to a real world guide just to help you get rid of some of those fears and self-doubts and to get yourself healthy, however that looks to you, most importantly, and to use fitness as your catalyst to leveling up in other areas of your life. Well, what you just said is so important because however fitness looks to you is one of the most important aspects of this, I think. Yes, that's a big thing now, even bigger now, because we're so connected, is that sometimes I feel for people because they fall into the trap of thinking that this one particular body or this one particular way of doing things is what you have to do to get fit or to look this way. And our bodies are different. Our bone structures are different. And so we're going to look differently. As much as I really at one point wanted to, I had to come to grips even with my own body with the way it's it's built compared to other people as well. I definitely feel for that. And I think that's what makes me writing and that kind of stuff easier is because a lot of times these are things that I struggle with personally. 
And I think one of the traps in writing about fitness is like having to become the person who writes the diet with the set of metrics and the specific routine that people have to follow and saying this is the way that it works. Yes. And so there's enough people out there doing that so they can have fun doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there there are people out there who love their messaging, but for the most of the world, they don't need all that complication. They're struggling with the basic behaviors, the basic habits and the thought processes. And, and that's where I'm living at. The world doesn't need another countless Instagram feed of 20 selfies of shirtless selfies. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's just, it's just not my thing. <laughs> it's one way to build up an audience, but that's a particular kind of audience. Right. And to me, it's, it's like, am I doing this really to help this person and move the needle forward? Or am I doing this kind of because I want to feel better about myself? And this, this is another key thing is when you're getting ready to do something is why are you doing it? Is it a pure emotional based decision or is it something that has a little more logic and reasoning to further your vision of whatever that may be? It's a difficult balance to strike, I think, in a field where people are looking to physical beauty as the thing that motivates them. And yet it sounds to me like you're coming more from the mindset and mental fitness aspect of it. Right. The physical gets them in. I mean, on the book cover, I'm on the book cover in a sleeveless shirt because it, it is a visual field that gets them in. But if you get them in, you can at least then cater the message to a more a personalized approach that I would prefer. So that's kind of what I do. So a lot of times, some of my articles sound like another, like you mentioned earlier, sounds like a typical fitness article. But then once you start reading it, then you're like, oh, this is different. So I guess that's some of the copywriting that you have to do just to get people in. Do you find that you lose audience that way as well? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yes. Sometimes people just want the one answer. Like, what's the one tip to help me lose weight? I have a hard time just saying, do this one thing and that's it. Or if I do give them one thing, I'm like, you should make sure you're sleeping enough. And that's not a sexy answer. That's a very boring answer. And so they're very disappointed because it's not a magic bullet that's being sold or it's not a waist trimmer that you could put on your waist or like some kind of tea. And so it, it, it leaves a little bit of disappointment in their face or through their virtual face if they're emailing me. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like sleep is a big part of what you teach, though. Yes, sleep is a big thing because I suffered with it a little bit. I thought I was invincible in my 20s. We're all invincible in our 20s. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I realize that sleep can actually wreck your life. So from a mood standpoint, from a decision standpoint, business standpoint, creativity, relationships, basically anything you can think of, sleep is going to play a part in that. And that's kind of the missing link a lot of times is people have a very good workout plan or they're following this strict diet and they're counting their calories good. But then they're skipping out on their sleep, whether it's for extra episodes of Netflix or cruising Facebook or something, or just maybe working into the wee hours of the night. And so it's really bringing that awareness to a boring topic. I don't think it's boring, but a lot of people is like, yeah, whatever. But it's bringing that awareness to help them realize that a lot of times sleep can be that missing ingredient to really helping them achieve their various goals. It can be a difficult thing to teach somebody, especially people who are very high energy and involved in their companies and they're trying to build a success. Sleep is one of the first things I think people are, are letting go of in order to make time for the work that they feel like they have to do. That's true. And one of the things I like to remind them is there's a difference between living and existing on a day-by-day -day basis with your business and the work you're doing to thriving and living on a day-by-day -day basis. And so it's really getting them to see the difference between what being 
well rested is like and what's being all right. Because a lot of times those people need some kind of coffee or stimulant to keep them going throughout the day. That's the first thing they're reaching for. Before they even wash their face in the morning, they're looking for some kind of tea or coffee. Also, a lot of times the people, at least in the corporate world, if you have data, that usually helps because then it's just like, oh, this guy's making something up. So if you can present some data and kind of see the world through their way when you're trying to bring this awareness to them, that makes it a little easier. It's a delicate battle with those kind of people. I'm kind of one of those people, but I also realize the difference because you're going to be more productive. You're not going to be as off focused as well because your brain is getting to clean itself at night and process those memories and and so forth that you learned the previous day. I think that that cleaning metaphor is something that's useful to help people understand what the value of sleep actually is. Yeah. And so once you tell them that, you know, that your brain is basically cleaning at night and you can mention that when you get little sleep and you have that, that waste building up in your brain that's not getting its proper time to clean, then you can mention that that's where down the road potential things such as Alzheimer's comes into play. And then that sometimes gets people awareness because it's it's something that can dramatically affect their life. And so, you know, they're putting all this work into their business right now. And in five, 10 years down the road, they can't even enjoy the fruits of their labor because they put their health on the back burner so long. So they definitely need to treat their health as an investment and not just another expense. It's a hard lesson to learn, and most people learn it the hard way. Yes, and, and sometimes that's just what's needed. Hopefully, it's just not too hard of a lesson. And I, I believe mindfulness is also a part of what you're teaching, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That came from therapy. So I did six months of, of therapy. Mm -hmm. And part of that, part of the things that helped me was practicing mindfulness. And I guess oftentimes we think of that as just being meditation. And so meditation is a part of that. I do that on a daily basis, but it's also when I'm making decisions with food and when I'm also looking through email. And it's just taking a brief pause to question why am I doing this or what's the point of this and what's the reasoning for this. And just it just helps me to stay in control, stay present and not to time travel. And so time traveling is you get too far ahead in the future. There's all these potential what ifs and it just drives you crazy, brings up anxiety, and half of it doesn't even come true. And in Counterly, you can time travel back to the past, and you have all these things that maybe didn't go right for you, and then you start letting that past dictate your present. And that brings more anxiousness, more guilt, and it prevents you from taking the step because of something that happened in the past. I like the concept of time travel being the thing that you can recognize. Back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to that, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> So your secret identity then is being this nerd who likes to write, but then you've got this whole fitness thing going as well. Yes. It's all tied in one pretty bow. Not that people need to learn from you what your routine is in order to follow it, but what is your routine? How do you keep yourself going and get all of this stuff done? So it starts, of course, with a good night's sleep the previous night. Big surprise. Yeah. And so to get a good night's sleep, I usually have a curfew of 60 to 90 minutes beforehand to get myself mentally prepared for bed. And that's to also wind down. And so what that looks like is I usually start to, I get rid of my electronics. Most nights, nobody's perfect. There's a good thing called F Lux that I use on my screen. And what that does is that decreases the light 
as the night goes along. So as the sun goes down, my screen gets dimmer because the bright blue lights affects our sleep and specifically the hormone melatonin, which is associated with sleep. But doing that, so I get myself ready for sleep. So what that looks like is, as I said, getting rid of the electronics for the most part. And I usually have a chamomile tea because it's non-caffeinated and it helps me sleep. And I journal for the day. Just write a few things I'm grateful for. What went well, what went good, what did not go well, how can I improve? And then I do some reading and then it's sleep time. I usually fall asleep usually within 20 minutes normally. I like to wake up around five. Wow. For somebody who respects sleep, that's really early. <laughs> well, I, I go to bed around I go to bed around nine to ten. So I at least get to, I at least get seven hours of sleep. Seven to nine is a pretty good range, and it's been studied quite a bit by now that that's the range that most of us should fall into. There's of course outliers, but most of us are not the outliers. And so so after waking up that early, I meditate. I do some kind of meditation depending on how I'm feeling that morning when I'm waking up. And so that's around five to ten minutes. Then I have some water to hydrate myself. And then I write three things I'm grateful for. And then I will end up usually doing some some type of reading before getting started with the day. And then do some kind of work activity for one to two hours. It's usually the most important task of the day is the first thing I do in the morning. Just in case a bunch of fires come throughout the day, I can at least rest at night to say, okay, I at least got my writing done or something. Or I, I, I did my coaching calls or whatever. So I take care of that first thing and then work out, eat, and then take care of a few things throughout the rest of the day. So you work on your writing projects before you work out? Normally, yes. I've heard people recommend both ways, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it depends on how you feel. With me, if I go work out, it depends also what kind of working out. So if I'm doing really heavy work that day at the gym, then I don't like to work out first thing in the morning because I'm not as fresh. I'm not as awakened as I want to be yet. I like to extend that to mid-morning. If I'm not working out that day, then yeah, I might go for a walk first thing in the morning. So that kind of flip-flops back and forth, but normally there is some type of writing or creative work first thing in the morning, and then maybe a call or two during the mid-afternoon. Makes sense. This is the business that you've built for yourself. You're basically, you're running your own company doing this. Yes. Mm -hmm. How long did it take to get to the point where it was successful enough that you could stop doing other things and focus on your own work? I think it's around two years, perhaps. The thing is, because since I, I can write, I could always do ghostwriting for people as well. And so that kind of helped me as well, is to that I could also write for other people. I knew my topic so well that I can just write for other people. Is the coaching the main source of income or how does your business support you these days? It's writing, then more and more the consulting with companies will take over that, I imagine, probably a year or so from now. And then the coaching. So I take periodic breaks with coaching because I'm revamping some stuff. And so now I'm... I'm looking to make the coaching experience even better by bringing on a guy who is really good with the exercise component. So almost having like a training director, so where he takes over the training component and then I focus on like the nutrition, the lifestyle and the sleep stuff. So it's it's a more immersive experience because there's so much information out there, there's so much research and it's impossible for someone to stay on top of every single thing and be the best at. That's like a doctor trying to be an eye surgeon, a knee surgeon, and a heart surgeon. And it's better to just bring on a team. Well, that makes sense. You have to have the audience to support that. I'm curious what you're doing to build up that audience and make sure that there is a funnel of people coming in. So with that kind of thing, it's not going to be something that's just massively out there. It's more so going to be geared toward executives. 
and entrepreneurs and other higher performers who would like something like that. Whereas other things that I'll probably work on is making maybe online courses or eBooks or combining those kind of things. Yeah, the structure of building a business like that can be tricky. Are you following anybody's uh, coaching around that? Uh... Not really. I, I maybe should. <laughs> but but I guess I have a specific vision of how things are going to be. And so I know it's going to take time. And I'm okay with that because I, I like the process. I like the daily grind of it. That's exciting me. You know, just, just the thought of what it could be. And so I'm okay with just being patient and letting it play out. Because you go to companies and speak, you'll be around some people. And if you do a good job there, that's going to speak volumes for itself. Yes, it's true. How did you get into speaking, by the way? Just cold calling, emailing people. I don't know. This is the way I see it. If no one's going to come to you at first just because you think you're good or you're special or something, so you have to you have to have some tenacity and almost like a killer instinct and just go out there. And I like to say I'm collecting rejections. I'm collecting no's because each and every no that I collect, I'm going to get a epic yes down the road. That's going to be amazing. And so to get to that, yes, to get to that landmark or whatever that may be that we want, there's going to be some struggle, some kind of pain, obstacles, and no's. And it's just part of the process. And it's kind of like that first writing piece that you put out there. If you look back at the first cold call, it's probably something that would embarrass you now. Yeah, I, I still get nervous on cold calls. I have something that I write because I'm just usually it's just a brief introduction. And then that's it. I don't keep him on there long. Yeah, I like talking on the telephone than text messaging because I think it's inefficient because you go back and forth on something. So that's a pet peeve of mine. So a lot of times if friends or something want to plan something, you're going back and forth on text messaging when you could accomplish it in two minutes on a phone call. It's true. People forget that these days. Everybody uses their phone numbers just for texting. I know. I, I, I wish I could, like, I don't know, start a movement to where we go back to using the phone more. <laughs> if only you were a writer with a platform out there. That's a, maybe that should be an article about why we need to bring back telephone calls. It'll be controversial, but that'll get eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. So you, you started cold calling. How did you know whom to reach out to? How did you get your list of targets? So this is, I guess, not a very precise way. So I usually just look at places, see who has some cool things that I like, maybe surrounding areas or maybe locally. So if it's in town in Nashville... I know some of these companies, and so I figured it'll be someone in affiliated with wellness or benefits or HR, and I just go from there in, in terms of just asking. And what is your pitch? It usually depends on the company. So always there's always a brief story for like the first few sentences. There's a story. There's a reason why I like the company, and then I tell them some things that they're good at and some of the things I'm impressed with or why, and then I give my introduction, and then I talk about some things or for me I, t I specifically talk about why you know health and wellness is good for companies or for that person or for whatever it may be and then i have a little research or data in there just to back it up and these are local companies so this is stuff that you do face to face the meetings yeah so some of these meetings are face to face i've done a few talks or meetings with people through skype that were international as well so you just emailed them it's really just a numbers game honestly when you're getting started it's just a numbers game so i'm approaching this just like i did my writing at the beginning so before there was an ink and entrepreneur there was just my blog or there was writing for the local newspaper and then you just progressively progressively build up from there 
and the type of program that you're pitching to these companies as face-to-face -face coaching or class of some kind? So it's usually, I prefer the workshop and trainings. So it's, it's usually like a two to three hour training on usually it's either going to be sleep or like a mindset behavioral talk and then a nutrition and a exercise one. And then all four of those usually they're going to tie into how that helps your performance and your decision making as well since it's in a more professional setting. That makes sense. That makes sense. And this is a business that you're building up, but this still requires you personally to go out there and do that work. Yes. And I enjoy that part though. I really like, uh, <laughs> I really like teaching and just the outreach and pitching because I guess I learned this from Michael Jordan in one of his books. So he always had a, a way of reframing any situation he didn't like or any negative situation into a positive. And so that just gave him extra motivation. So sometimes like a reporter will say something bad about him and he'll just use that as his motivation that night to go score 40 points. And <laughs> one of those is like one of the young players when he made his comeback for the Washington Wizards, I think they said something to him because he was like 41 then. And he used that as motivation and he has that killer instinct. And so he ended up scoring 46 points that night. And so it's taking things that we think are mundane, maybe a negative or something tedious and falling in love with that and reframing it into something positive that can fuel us. That is an incredibly powerful skill. And it's something that people have a lot of trouble learning how to do. Yeah, well, you, you got to start, you, you have to start at one before you get to 10. So you have to crawl before you run. And so it's, I almost look at it as like, it's almost like disrespectful to think that you can skip these steps that these previous people who are successful and done these great endeavors had to go through as well. So it's almost just like paying your dues. Every good comic book hero has an origin story. Exactly. I've heard this somewhere. I listen to read too much. And so it's this concept of having extreme mentors to use them as your motivations for when you maybe want to complain a little bit or give up. And it oftentimes, now some of us, it's difficult times sometimes for some things, but oftentimes it's really, we just need to get a little tougher and suck it up a little bit and just roll up our sleeves and get our hands a little dirty because people before us went through a lot more difficulty to accomplish some of the things that we want to. That's absolutely true. And it, it sounds like you do a lot of this rolling up your sleeves and doing things by yourself, but I'm curious whether mentorship played a role in what you're doing. Yes. I use books for that. So my environment wasn't necessarily where I wanted to go. So for me, as I'm trying to be an even better entrepreneur, be an even better business owner and be better in that endeavor, a lot of my friends are not necessarily into that same lifestyle, which is totally fine. But I also realized that I need to find a way to create a, a council, I think as Napoleon Hill said in one of his books. And one of the ways he did that, he read books as well. So I use that. And so I read books and I use some of these people as my extreme mentors to maybe it was mental toughness. Maybe it was being prolific like Marvin Gaye and Miles Davis and other singers where they're constantly putting out material. And maybe it's using my mindset to reframe situations like Michael Jordan and those kind of things. Things I'm struggling with in life, there's always a book or some kind of resource out there. And especially now with the internet, it's a simple tweet away or a simple email away to ask someone for maybe 10 minutes of their time or to start a relationship. And some people are, might be a little douchey about it, but you gotta ask anyway, because there's a lot more good people out there who will be willing to pay it forward and help you along the way also.
about reaching out again that the discipline of being able to reach out and accept that rejection and build up those rejections that's a big part of this definitely so building that mental fitness up or and if you wanted to bring some fitness into that it's it's shedding some of the mental fat that hangs on to us and mental fat to me is like limiting beliefs or our pessimism that's excellent so i know that people who are listening are going to want to read some of your stuff and they're going to want to find out more about you where should i direct it yeah, so you can just go to the home base of theartoffitnessinlife.com, and there's free courses there, free cheat sheets. I'm getting ready to also send a free 30-day course, this online course for everyone. It's just me talking each lesson about something health and fitness related, and then there's stuff on Inc. and all over the internet. You are out there everywhere these days. Yeah. One of the people I admire is Gary Vaynerchuk, just because he's always giving so much content and value to people. And so that's another thing of motivation for me is just to try to give a lot of value, give, give, give to a lot of people because I'm so grateful for a lot of the things that I was giving. Like to me, I was, I was giving music and books. And so it's my way of paying it forward. That's excellent. Well, then there, there's going to be a lot of good information in the show notes for this episode. And Julian, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. And if anyone needs to reach out or has any question, definitely email me at Julian, J-U-L-I-A-N, at theartoffitnessinlife.com. I'm sure they will. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.